Well, if you were given a choice, would you rather be blessed by God or cursed by God? I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3 this morning. I'll be preaching from the text, Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14. Again, if you do not have a Bible, uh, there should be one in the seats in front of you. We like to go right through the text of Scripture and proclaim uh, the, the meaning of God's Word for us. As I read this text with you today, I'd ask you if you're physically able to please stand with me out of reverence for the Word of God. Let's stand together as I read this text for us. Galatians 3.10 For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. You may be seated. As I said this morning, I plan to preach from Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. But to do that, in order to understand this text and and to to dig right in, there are two other biblical texts that we need to briefly consider to understand what's going on here. One of the texts we need to consider is a text right before this, in Galatians 3, verses 6 through 8. In verse 6, it says, Just as Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness, now then... uh, Now then, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. In order to understand the text we're going to preach on today, we need to understand that Paul's focus in this passage, the greater context, is on Abraham. We see his name in our Bibles in verse 6, again in verse 7, verse 8, and in verse 14, which is at the end of the text that I'll be preaching from this morning. But why would Paul's attention be drawn to Abraham? Well, some of the false teachers, or some false teachers, came to the churches of Galatia, and they were proclaiming that it was necessary, if people wanted to be the children of Abraham, it was necessary for them to believe in Christ and obey the law of Moses. And so since Paul had planted these churches just a few years before these false teachers crept in with that message, he desires to correct them and their views of Abraham. These false teachers may have even claimed that Abraham obeyed the law of Moses perfectly 
although the law of Moses wasn't even in existence for several hundred years after Abraham lived. So Abraham wants to correct them. And if you look in your Bible, you'll notice especially that Paul has something to say about the blessing of Abraham. Look at the very end of verse 8. Very end of verse 8. He says, In you shall all the nations be blessed. And in verse 14, at the beginning of that verse, he says, So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come. Well, that leads us to another question this morning, and that is, well, what is the blessing of Abraham? I kind of get who Abraham was. He's an Old Testament figure. But what does this text mean when it talks about the blessing of Abraham? And so that's when I invite you to turn to the other text that we need to understand to get into our text, and that is Genesis chapter 12 in your Old Testament scriptures. So go back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, near the very beginning, and I want to read a few verses for you that will talk about the blessing of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, we have some very important verses because they contain God's promises to Abram in the Abrahamic covenant. If you look down in your Bible at verse 1, you can see that there are three promises that God makes to Abraham. Verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. That's, that's a promise. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And then listen to this next phrase. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So within this text, God promises Abram three things. He promises him a land that he will be able to possess. He promises to make of him a great nation. That's the second promise. And the third is a great name. But why did God promise Abraham that? Why does God extend himself to this ancient man? from yesteryear and say, I'm promising, I'm covenanting to give you three things. The answer to that, of course, is simply grace. God just chose to bless Abraham and to make out of him a great nation. And Abraham responds by believing God and trusting that God will fulfill his word. And although Abraham is an elderly man, Married to an elderly woman, he believed that God could make from him a great nation of people. And even though Abraham had to wait approximately 25 years for the birth of his son, until he was about 100 years of age, Abraham persevered in faith. And this last promise that God would make a great nation out of him ends with this promise of blessing that will extend to all the families of the earth. So all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's what God promises to Abraham. But how is that possible? 
And how can we, New Testament people, be blessed through that ancient promise? And what is the blessing of Abraham on the nations? We come to this part of the text. This is a bit mysterious for us. It's it's mysterious if you read your Bible every day. It's a bit mysterious if you come to church regularly. But these are the two exact questions that Paul considers in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. So turn back there in your Bible. Paul considers two questions about the blessing of Abraham and how it relates to people today. The first question that Paul considers is, how can we, modern people, experience the blessing of Abraham? That's in verses 10 through 14. And so Paul explores two possible ways for us to experience the blessing of Abraham or the blessing of God. And the first, uh, the first uh, way that he considers is through Moses' law, verses 10 through 12. More specifically, Paul considers whether anyone will be able to do works in accordance with Moses' law and be accepted by God or be blessed by him. So look down in your Bible, verse 10 through 12. This is all about the law. It says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Here we have the law of Moses, or statements about Moses' law. I want to introduce you to him just for a second. Moses was a very important leader of the people of God in the Old Testament scriptures. God used Moses, if you remember your Old Testament history, God used Moses to lead the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt to the brink of the promised land. And all of this is recorded for us in the first five books of your Bible called the Pentateuch or the Book of Moses. And the most significant event in Moses' leadership of the Israelite people was when God revealed himself to Moses and to the Israelite people by giving them the law. The law of Moses is reflected in summary form in the Ten Commandments. You ever heard those before? Yeah, the Ten Commandments are a summary of the law of Moses. And in these commands that God gives Moses and that he records for us in the first five books of the Old Testament, God reveals two things to the children of Israel. He reveals, first of all, his expectations for them. The creator God has some expectations for his people, and that's what these Ten Commandments are about. But they also reveal the moral character of God himself. So, for instance, God does not tolerate murder. Taking the life of another innocent person by force will not be tolerated with God because human beings are made in the image of God and every person is important to God. So God said to Israel, thou shalt not murder. 
We learn about the character of God in the Old Testament, in the Ten Commandments again, when we know that God does not condone stealing. I mean, God will not tolerate even taking a little thing from your brother or sister because God is not a God of stealing or thievery. So God wrote this. He said, thou shalt not steal. Remember that in the Ten Commandments? Well, God demands that all people would worship him and honor his name. That's his expectation as the, the, the only creator God. And so he wrote, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he also wrote, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You see, God cannot tolerate sin. These things in his people because God is absolutely holy and perfect. God never sinned internally or externally, and he does not allow those who do such things to remain in his presence. And so to make this clear to his people in the Old Testament scripture, God revealed himself and his expectations to them in more than just 10 commandments. To be more accurate, something like 613 commandments found in the book of Moses. So you might think that this would be the means or the way for someone to secure the blessings of God, right? You think, okay, if I just obey these commands or expectations from God, then I'll be good and I'll be blessed by God. I'll experience the blessing offered to Abraham. But in Galatians chapter 3 and verses 10 through 12, we see from Paul's perspective what the law does and does not do. In verse 10, we see what it does. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. I mean, the text of Scripture says that all people who rely or depend upon the works of the law of Moses are cursed. In other words, if we attempt to achieve the blessing of God by obeying or doing or working the works of the law of God, it will never work. It will curse us. You see, men and women, it is a normal response of human beings to try to earn God's favor through works or attempt to merit it by doing good things. But the Bible right here in verse 10 says that all people who attempt to earn God's favor by obeying his laws are under the power of something. They're under the power of the curse. But what's the curse, right? That sounds bad. Well, the curse is the exact opposite of the blessing of God. From this point on in the paragraph, Paul has a lot to say about the curse. It's mentioned five times in the text from verses 10 through 13. He says, curse, curse, curse. And the biblical idea of a curse has been defined as 
the invocation of harm or injury on a person or a people. And in the scriptures, the person who is cursed is cut off, isolated, and abandoned to the powers of death and hell. So Paul says, instead of helping the believer, the follower of God, draw closer to him, the law actually curses him. But how is that possible? At the end of verse 10, he quotes a verse from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 27 and verse 26, which comes right from Moses' book. He says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. This is the final curse in Moses' book of 12 curses that are given in Deuteronomy chapter 27. And this last curse, the one that's quoted here in, by Paul in this section, is a summary of the importance of all of the curses before and of the need for the children of Israel to obey all of the commandments of God. I believe the most important words in this verse for both Moses and Paul are the words, all things, all things. For the law demands obedience to all of its commands. A 98% won't be good enough. God demands a perfect score, 100%. See, God won't just weigh our work to see if there's more good than bad. We must be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Yet that is not even possible for any person. You see, the way the law curses then is that it demands perfect obedience and no person is able to do that. The scripture confirms this in the New Testament. One of my favorite verses that just tells us the need of all people for the gospel in the New Testament is Romans 3.23. It says this. It says, For all, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No person will ever be released from their sin through the law. You see, the law won't help anyone gain God's favor. It curses and damns. That's what the law does. But then in verses 11 and 12, we see what the law cannot do. And I'll just read this for you and make comments as we go through. Verse 11, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. See, Paul uses the blessing of Abraham to talk about a certain other type of blessing here. He says, no one can possibly be pronounced as upright or righteous before God on the basis of the law of Moses. Then he proves it from the scripture. He says, for the righteous shall live by faith. This could be translated, the by faith righteous one will live. The people who will live on for eternity in the presence of God are the ones who have faith, not the law. And then you keep reading right after that when he says, uh, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them, does the law, 
he, they will live by the law. They'll live by the doing. Although the law was a gift from God, it did not produce what they thought that it might. I was reading the ancient story of the Trojan horse. Went through this legend. I, the, the way the legend goes is there were some ancient Greeks who were attacking the city of Troy. And uh, in one particular moment, they pretended to leave the area and to give a gift, a large wooden horse to the city of Troy. So the citizens of Troy rejoice. They wheel in the horse into their city, but inside of the hollowed horse were the best soldiers of Greece. And during the night, they came out, opened the gates of the city, and were successful in defeating the city. I want to suggest to you this morning that the law of Moses is like the Trojan horse. You think it's a great gift, but it actually damns you further. The difference, though, between the law and the Trojan horse is the way the law damns you. The way the law of Moses damns you is not something inside of the law, but it's something inside of you. For the scriptures are clear that not only does every human being sin, we are all born in sin because of the choice of Adam and Eve in the garden. And the curse that was placed upon them by God is upon all humanity. And the law cannot save us. If you go to verses 13 and 14 in your Bible, the rest of this sermon, I want to talk about the other means. How can Abraham's blessing come to us? Verse 13 through 14, Paul considers through Christ's death and resurrection. More specifically, through faith in what Christ has accomplished for us. Look with me in your Bibles at at uh, these two things that Jesus accomplished for us. First, in verse 13, Jesus redeems us. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. In verses 11 and 12, you might remember that the conclusion of Scripture is that all are under the curse. We could not help ourselves through works of the law because no one will be perfect, but Christ redeems us. That's what this text says. He redeems us, which means he paid a ransom price to free us, uh, to free those who would follow God. And in verse 13, he shows us the way that Christ frees Christians from the curse is by becoming a curse for us. You see that in your Bible? This is our Easter meditation or thought. Jesus Christ loved you so much in, 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 your, in the fact that you were cursed, separated from God, he was willing to become a curse for you. See, Jesus has existed forever. Christ has existed forever as God, and he was reigning and ruling as God, as sovereign of the universe. 
But then one day Jesus Christ chose to give up that freedom to come to planet Earth and become a curse so that you might be free. But there's a particular curse that Paul is speaking about here when uh, he quotes Deuteronomy 21, 23. I mean, how was Christ cursed? Well, in Moses' book, again, Deuteronomy 21, in the law, it says, anyone who is lifted up on a tree as a form of execution is under God's curse. See, this was a way that God would curb the Israelite people who would be involving themselves in different types of violent acts. Not only would they suffer physically and perhaps be uh, be, be, be killed by the Israelite people, they would also come under the curse of God. Years later, however, the Romans began uh, killing some of their opponents through crucifixion, which involved hanging the victim upon a tree to die. When the first century, Jews feared crucifixion, not only because of his physical consequences, but because of the spiritual damning to be under the curse of God. And so the Jews really struggled with the fact that the Messiah would be crucified. That's why many of the Jews rejected Jesus. I mean, the Messiah means power. It means strength. It means God's anointed one. Being crucified means death. It means defeat. And it means the curse of God. I mean, how could you have both? And so the Jews primarily rejected Jesus, but Paul boasts in the cross of Jesus Christ. Boasts and he glories in this. For Christ became a curse for us so that we might be freed. Jesus exchanged his freedom so that cursed people who would believe on him would be free. He took on the curse so that we might be free. This is what many people call an exchange curse, where Jesus paid the penalty that we deserved with his own flesh and blood. And so what did Christ accomplish that the law couldn't? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. But then look in your Bible, verse 14. Not only did he do that, he also brings about the blessing of Abraham to us. Verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Verse 14 demonstrates that Jesus not only paid the ransom price to free us, but he was able to secure the blessing of Abraham for the nations. Years before, many years before, God had promised to Abraham that all the world, all the families of the earth would be blessed through his seed. And Paul explains that all the families or nations of the world are now able to enjoy God's blessing because of Christ's work. So what the law could not do and that was weak through the flesh, God did in sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to condemn sin in the flesh. This is how the blessing of Abraham is available to us. 
There's one last question we look at in the final verse of verse 14, or final part of verse 14. And that is, Paul briefly considers what is the blessing of Abraham that we can experience today? Look down in your Bibles one last time. It says, so that, end of verse 14, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. I want you to look in your Bibles at the first words of verse 14. In my English Bible, they're translated, so that. Now look at the first words of the second phrase that I just read to you. In my English Bible, they're translated, so that. I think that these two conjunctions are parallel and they coordinate with each other. So that Paul is telling us with the second statement exactly how the blessing of Abraham can be experienced today. That ancient blessing that was to extend to the nations of the world can be experienced today by those who receive the Spirit of God. Because Jesus died and rose again, believers today enjoy the indwelling and securing presence of the Spirit of God. We have a relationship with the perfect, holy God who cannot tolerate sin because of the sacrifice, the cursing of the Son of God and his victory over death and hell. And all of this happens as the last two words of this passage indicate to very, very important words, through faith. Through faith. See, we must believe that Jesus lived, that he died, and that he rose again from the grave in order to be delivered and to experience the blessing of God. Men and women, the the empty grave gives all of those who believe in Jesus a personal relationship with God where we can enjoy his presence in our lives every day. You see, everyone in this room or the parlor or the family room is either cursed or blessed by God. So I study Galatians 3, and I've taken some time to work through the whole text. I see everything lining up in one of two categories. On one side of the ledger is law, works, curse, death, and hell. And on the other side of the ledger, by God's grace, is Christ, faith, blessing, life, and heaven. I remember years ago witnessing to a young man by the name of Sean. He attended a Bible study that I was performing on a college campus. Sean was different than other guests because he was a self-confessed Satanist. And the first several Bible studies Sean came to, he brought with him his Satanic Bible. But over time, God began to show Sean that all people, are cursed outside of those who trust in Christ. And one day, Sean confessed 
Jesus as Lord. Men and women, don't leave today without declaring to God that you believe in Christ alone for your deliverance from sin. Will you remain cursed or find the blessing of God in the person of Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. Father, as we consider your word this morning, the scriptures are clear. If we attempt to earn our merit, right standing with you, your blessing, on the merit of our own works, no person will stand. Works of the law can save no one. And actually, it curses us further. But Lord, what the law was not able to do, Christ did in conquering death and in rising victorious. And so Father, for any person here this morning who has never believed on the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, Father, that at this moment, nothing would prevent them from declaring to you in this moment of quiet prayer that they believe in Jesus. That they want to be released from the curse of sin and trying to pursue you through works because they're not perfect. That they long, they long to be accepted and blessed by you through the work of Jesus Christ. We thank you, dear Father, that Jesus took away our curse by becoming a curse for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.